show, everyone. You're in for a damn good time. For Shaw. Stop it. It's the Fort Fiesta. I'm Adam Air Force Wit. And I'm Paul Preston, uh, Sabrina. And you may not know what force Gregory Peck and David Niven were a part of in Guns of Navarone, but by the time the franchise got to Force 10, we started to care because that's where Harrison Ford comes in, in Force 10 from Navarone. But first, some housekeeping. We're going through all of Harrison Ford's filmography, film by film. So please enable our behavior by liking and sharing our posts, letting your Harrison Ford friends know that we're here and doing this, and of course, subscribing to the show and uh, following us on social media, at The Movie Guys, pretty much everywhere, and themovieguys.net. But before we get to the World War II film Ford chose to follow up Star Wars with, it's time for... What's new in the world of Harrison Ford? Paul? Shall I? Yes, Harrison Ford and Callista Flockhart were sightseeing in Croatia. All the sights. Clearly, there's, there's, there's not a lot of news because he got <laughs> injured, and uh, they're postponing his uh, presence being necessary on the Indiana Jones 5 set. So he's just killing time. You search Harrison Ford news, here they, they, you know, he, they're in Croatia. They got their son, and they're just hanging about. And there's a really awkward photo where they're like looking at a camera. It feels like someone said, "Can we get a picture, Mr. Ford? Mr. Ford, Mr. Ford, can we get a picture?" And they kind of went, uh. <laughs> and then Here went on their life. So Croatia. I, I wonder if he was reminiscing about the time he shot Force Ten from Navarone, because I think that's one of these scenes in Force Ten is in Croatia, like one of the depots they rob or something. I hope he was. <laughs> you know, Callista. That, yeah, yeah. Well, this reminds me of that time that Carl Weathers and I... Uh... <laughs> well, you've made a movie everywhere, Harrison. I had lunch with Dick <laughs> Even Croatia? She said, she's like, even Croatia? Yep, yep, Croatia. You see, we had this dam we had to bomb. Uh, and so that's pretty much it. There's not much else to talk about. You know, he's not like greenlighting any new projects or anything. He's got to get this uh, Indy 5 in the can. And the... Think they might be like months off schedule because of how he got hurt. Yeah, gonna have to be. I mean, also like yeah, all the Harrison Ford news. People were like, we can we can kick back. We don't have to find him in a grocery store. We know we got Harrison Ford news coming up. We don't need to harass. Oh, him. you'd think that. <laughs> but if you Google Harrison Ford news, you still get the Daily Mail and other places now following him where he's relaxing. Yeah. Harrison Ford, 79, cuts a casual figure as he visits a wine shop in Mayfair after being forced to take three-month filming break in Indiana Jones 5 due to injury. He was shopping at at Selfridges, which is a department store in London. He was biking. You know, we always talk about his biking exploits. I guess his injury isn't bad, you know. Yeah, what did he hurt? To where he can... I, I, I don't know. (laughs) But he can bike, and he has been in London. Maybe it's part of the rehab. I don't know. But that's... That's the news on him. It's not a ton, but uh, it's all, how is he killing time? How are we killing time till we get Indy 5? Man, I wonder, I wonder, I hope he didn't hurt something that prevents him from running and falling <laughs> more in the movie. <laughs> I mean, do we get like all the running and falling got shot up front and, uh, you know, that's all the running and falling we're going to get? Now we might get a lot of stunt men. Yeah. You know, he's, he's famed for doing his own stunts, but we might. Might finally have to get another guy in there and do some stuff. You shouldn't have a 79-year-old man doing his own stunts. I mean, <laughs> think about that. <laughs> and, of course, one more quick recurring show segment before we get to the big recap. This date in Ford history. August 1st, big day for Harrison Ford, as A Time for Killing is released on August 1st in 1967. Fire! Damn it, fire! And American Graffiti was released on August 1st in 1973. This must be before he established his big... um, Oh, and wait a minute, but let's look at the next one. August 3rd in 1994, Clear and Present Danger is released. So I can't tell what's going on with the... I mean, that's uh, still the summer. With the release dates. It is, yeah, but he's clearly not hitting... The July, like the July, I'm sure July 4th was Air Force One, and you know, the big movies uh, probably came out in the the Memorial Day, July 4th era of the summer. Yeah. 
Uh, to, for him to be in August, he hadn't established himself yet. Maybe by '94, they the hair people are coming wherever he is, wherever they put out the movie. Also, I seem to remember around '94 there had been a pattern where, yeah, you had your big Memorial Day release, and then you had every weekend, you know, Paul Preston and Adam Witt had some speed to to go see, you know, for many summers. <laughs> but by by '94, I seem to remember, and I remember this with Blade. It would be at the beginning of August would be still prestige summer movies. But by the end of it, you were down to like Blade or vampire movies or, you know, something. Uh, it was a little late August. There was a dividing line in August. By late August, you were not in the prestige movies. It was like, you know, back to school vampire time or whatever. Yeah. And you had the opportunity to go on a run, though, because I remember Guardians of the Galaxy, I believe, came out early August and it did so well. It had legs and just ran through to Labor Day yeah, yeah. because nothing else came out that would that would be that interesting to your point. But Time for Killing, that's pre-summer release type thing anyway. So I went, how did you pick a day back then, to, uh, yeah. Time for Killing? <laughs> when do we release yeah. our epic Western that went over budget by $2 million, you know? <laughs> <laughs> when do you throw a dart and hit a George Hamilton movie release date? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, graffiti, maybe they're aiming for back to school or something. I don't know. Uh, oh, so, yeah, that's know, probably kids. true. When we swing back around to the summer, it's, you know, it's going to be all... Uh, Raiders and Indiana Jones and all that. Yeah, stuff. when we get to the '80s, you'll see that because and I've brought this up maybe not even on this show, but it, certainly with, in movie guys conversations a lot. I loved that era of the '80s where it's like you know you're going to get a Tom Cruise movie, you know you're going to get a Harrison Ford movie, you're going to get an Arnold movie, a Mel Gibson movie, and a Julia Roberts movie, and you just wonder which one is it. You're like you don't go, what is that movie? Who's in it? You go, these guys got movies coming out. What are they going to be this year? And I loved that. And I was just reading Mike Metavoy's book, and they call that era the, oh. the agent era or something like the agency era of film. I believe it. Because, yeah, it was all those big agencies saying, no, I want my Tom Cruise movie to come out this week. Get your Harrison Ford movie to the following <laughs> week or whatever, you know? Yeah, your, your Mike Ovitz. The attitude era for wrestling, but the agency era for movies where all the big stars got their week. And then that slowly went away, you know? Yeah. But Force 10 from Navarone, uh, I think that was a summer movie. But uh, we will talk about it in our Patented Movie Guys recap. Force 10 from Navarone. May the force be with you. Is a sequel to 1961's The Guns of Navarone. Now that we've got that out of the way, you can forget it because it's not going to come up again. The movie begins with Major Mallory, played by Robert Quint Shaw, and Sergeant Donovan Miller, played by Edward the Jackal Fox, being assigned a mission by British intelligence. They're being sent to find and eliminate Colonel von Ingelsbon. Ingel? Ingelorzelbon? You cut, you cut and paste that, didn't you, Adam? You have no idea what the Exactly, how exactly, yeah. It's Ingelsbon, <laughs> but I think in German. Yeah, sure. Ingelsbon. Yeah. The point is, he's a German spy who betrayed the previous Navarone mission, which you needn't have seen. British intelligence believes that Ingelsbahn, using the name Nikolai, is embedded with the... There we go. <laughs> and for all of us, he uses that name. <laughs> <laughs> is embedded with the Yugoslav Partisans, which is not a hockey team. Everybody getting this so far? Their mission? Go behind enemy lines to blow up a bridge crucial to the Nazi war effort. But that's not really what this movie is about. Harrison Ford plays Lieutenant Mike Barnsby, leader of Force 10. Major, move! An American sabotage unit bound for Yugoslavia on a classified mission. Force 10 quickly balloons to Force 13 when Weaver, an army sergeant... Force 10 quickly balloons to Force 13 when Weaver, an army sergeant escaping the military police, played by Carl Apollo Creed Weathers, joins the force along with Mallory and Miller. The mission is so top secret that Force 10 can't register the flight out of Italy, so they steal a plane to fly into Yugoslavia. But who's going to fly it, kid? I'll tell you who's going to fly that plane. Harrison Ford, that's who. Real-life pilot Harrison Ford takes the wheel to fly them into enemy territory on Air Force 10 from Navarone. But the plane is shot down. Why, yes! Plan, go! Taking Force 10 down to Force 4.5, with only Barnsby, Mallory, Miller, Weaver, and... John Dutch Vander left alive. The survivors come across a group they believe to be the Yugoslav partisans, but are actually Chechniks. Chechniks. Damn it. Czechs mix. <laughs> German sympathizers led by Richard Jaws Keel, who capture the group and take them to Major Schroeder, their German commander, played by Michael, tank commander from Last Crusade, Byrne. 
They convince Schroeder that they're military criminals and deserters, a subterfuge destined to fail when Schroeder opens the briefcase full of explosives, which the fast-thinking troops convince them is penicillin. We beat penicillin! Schroeder opens the suitcase and finds... Neither penicillin or explosives, to the surprise of everyone. Needing another alibi, they buy themselves another hour of a lifetime by saying that penicillin is buried back where they came from. Now, moments from imminent death, Barnsby and Miller, Barnaby Miller, Bar Barnaby Jones and Barney Miller. <laughs> and Barney Miller. <laughs> Barnsby and Mallory lead the bad guys on a wild penicillin chase, but just at the moment where they're out of options and are about to be killed way too early in this movie, they're saved by Maritza. You can get up now. Did we mention Maritza? Anyway, she's a partisan infiltrating the Chechniks who are themselves impersonating partisans. Nice. It was Maritza, played by Barbara the Spy Who Loved Me Bach, who placed the firewood in the briefcase, just in case it all went down exactly like this. To maintain the subterfuge that they overpowered her and escaped, Maritza tells Barnsby to punch her. He hit me. Leading Harrison Ford to punch the second person in the face in his career. Jack Lemmon, and now Barbara Bach. Oh, all right. Sorry. The, the, the things people don't know about Harrison Ford that we do. <laughs> These are fun facts. Mallory and Barnsby meet up with a patrol of the Yugoslav army led by Captain Leskovar, played by DeFranco Django Nero. The D is silent. Oh, sorry. Franco Django Nero. Once at the Yugoslav army outpost, the full mission of Force 4.5 is revealed. They're here to blow up a bridge the Germans need for an impending assault on the Yugoslav army. Mallory appeals to Petrovich, the leader of the Yugoslav army, to rescue Miller, the demolitions expert, from the Chechniks where he's still being held, so he can help them blow up the bridge. They do that, but Angus John Dutch Vander McInnes is killed in the process, taking Force 10 down to a Force 1 and friends. Upon examining the bridge, Miller says it can't be blown up, but Mallory hits upon the idea of destroying the upstream dam to use millions of gallons of water released from it to destroy the bridge. Water! 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 London arranges a night drop of bomb supplies, but Leskovar calls in German airplanes to stop them, revealing himself to be a traitor! Maritza catches him in the act, but he kills her before she can warn the others, as the entire field of Yugoslav military is destroyed by German bombers. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Angered at the botched airdrop, Petrovich declares the mission a failure and orders the men to be sent home. <laughs> that would be the end of it for most men, but most men aren't Harrison Ford, Carl Weathers, and Robert Shaw, who instead decide to invade a German depot to steal explosives from the Nazis like a bunch of action movie overachievers that they are. For the first time in his career, but not the last, Harrison Ford knocks out a Nazi and steals his uniform. They steal the explosives, but Leskovar doubles down on double-crossing the Allies, alerting a German officer to their presence in an unprecedented octuple-cross, double-alias, triple-axle, given a 10 by all the German judges. Marco sacrifices himself. Oh, there was a guy named Marco we forgot to mention. In the process, Leskovar was saluted by a German soldier, even though Leskovar's disguise was that of a corporal. Game is up. Your ass is mine. And Harrison Ford kills Leskovar, turning Franco Nero into Franco Zero. Uh, for anyone listening in on audio, Adam is very, very happy with that joke. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Having helped Mallory accomplish his mission of eliminating Leskovar, Mallory now assists Force One in blowing the dam. Weaver and Miller set off diversionary explosions while Mallory and Barnsby sneak into the dam. In the woods, Carl Weathers finds a Richard Keel loose in the wild and tussles with him, sustaining an injury, but taking the mighty Bigfoot down. Just as the German military is crossing the bridge with their tank division into Yugoslavia, the dam explodes, sending millions of tons of water towards the bridge, destroying it. Water! 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 Mallory, Barnsby, Miller, and Weaver realize they're victorious but on the wrong side of the river. Credits roll as they begin their journey back to friendly territory. And author Alistair McLean frantically types out an ending to this trilogy for Mark Hamill. That, that's the uh, legendary uh, story of Forced End from Navarro. And to talk about it, you know, we have, we're going to have a number of special guests pop in on the show and the podcast as we go along. But, you know... For this show, we dip back into the greatest hits of guests so far. Movie guy Stephen Lewis, everybody. More applause as Stephen nice joins us. Nice to be us. back. Nice to be back. You've seen him in videos. 
You've read his articles. You've read his reviews and seen him in the live shows. If you haven't, go do that. Wait, were you talking to the audience or yeah. to me? Because I've read all that stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> I read it again and again. And now... Uh, well, Steve, yeah. you're you're a fan, Steve. I am a fan. A fan. I am a fan of this show. I, I've I've gotten hooked on the Ford Fiesta quite apart from my own limited involvement with it, and so uh, I knew I wanted to talk about this one because this is I was so into this as a kid. This is the only movie in history, apart from the original Star Wars, that I ever sat through twice in the theater when I saw it. So that's how much I loved this movie when I saw it originally. And I've continued to love it at the same level as we, Adam and I watched it this time around. I was like, I have lost none of my eight year old love for this movie because it's that good. Wow. I can't believe you only did the back to back screenings twice. I did it for return of the Jedi. I think I did that for the doors. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tons of movies. Yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't a a habit I got into. Uh, I didn't generally want to sit that long in a theater, you know, um, but I, I did for this, and I did for Star Wars. And of the two of them, I enjoyed my the second time through of this more than Star Wars. Star Wars, I was ready to go by the time they got to the trench run the second time around. I was like, okay, come on, I've seen it. Force 10 had me the entire way through both times. So Then you are the right guest, Dan. I am. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when I told him we were doing the show, he's like, can I be on for Force 10? That's like literally the first thing that Steve <laughs> that said. That is the first thing I said. <laughs> When I heard about the Ford Fiesta. <laughs> Adam, what was your first time seeing this movie? Uh, this would be on TV camping with my grandparents. They would camp for about two months in the summer in Ohio, in Chautauqua, Ohio. Not Chautauqua, New York. Chautauqua, Ohio. And all of their friends would get a- adjacent uh, campgrounds or camp uh, spots. And my grandparents had a little five inch must have been maybe 10 inch total uh, color TV that was in there. And all the kids would pile in because that was the. I think only TV, but also it was like color TV. And this was on a lot because I remember watching it twice at the campground and all of us. And uh, this is the first time I've watched it all the way through, I think, ever. But uh, as it got towards the end, I think that the two viewings I had with my friends at the campground as a kid, again, we're watching it because it's Han Solo. It's Harrison Ford. You know, we're not just any war movie would have gotten us in front of the TV. But this one um, that the damn sequence at the end is like the one that really... I feel like that's what we watched both times and I don't remember much else. And for me, uh, just, just as a contrast to that story, I was at this movie because it was a World War II men on a mission movie and my older brother was really into those. I didn't realize Han Solo was in this movie until Han Solo walked in the door and I'm like, oh my God, Han Solo's in it. Wow. Well, I'm going to love it. You know, we just debated Leia or Leah and now do we have to debate Han or Han, Steve? <laughs> Which one did I say? Or is it Londo? Well, is there a correct version? Is it uh, Han or Han? Adam has stated that George Lucas says there are regional pronunciations within the galaxy. Of George Lucas would not correct people on the set because he said it's regional. It's however you say it. <laughs> uh, that's, that's very, that's very uh, ecumenical of him. And I saw this numerous times on HBO. We always talk about on the movie, guys, the, the HBO staples when you were a kid. For me, they were like Clash of the Titans chomps savannah smiles those winners chomps <laughs> yeah. wow. and uh and this was one of the attack force z that was another one that was on a lot and uh this played a ton so i why and it, for me it was like i just loved han solo i wanted to see what else he was in what more movies was harrison ford and i saw what i could until raiders and then it was just i wasn't gonna miss anything after that by the way you mentioned when savannah smiles and this is one of my great regrets as a young child is that i made my dad go see that movie twice i made my dad go see a lot of weird movies twice and the idea that it any of those times I was taking them to some terrible movie that my dad and i could have went to see force 10 from navarone <laughs> with han solo in it and he could have enjoyed a good old-fashioned war movie for two hours. I, I truly regret that. Now <laughs> you'll find Forrest Ten from Neverone. Uh, Adam, you're always perusing these stations on, like, your Tubi and your Pluto TV. All right? Does it fit right, in there? I mean, yeah. I, based on what you see on those stations all the time, you're always telling me if you really want to study movie trivia, watch Pluto and Tubi, because those are the, the you know... They can only get the rights for so many movies, and the really obscure ones are going to kill you in yeah. movie trivia if you don't know the answer. This might be yeah. too mainstream <laughs> yeah, for Pluto. Exactly. <laughs> this is, you know, they're, they're going to have Oh Heavenly Dog, not necessarily uh, Forced End from Navarro. <laughs> wow, what a pedigree. I mean, apart from Harrison Ford, this cast is just Look at this unreal. Cast. Robert Shaw from Jaws, 
Richard Keel and Barbara Bach from The Spy Who Loved Me. Carl Reathers from Rocky. Director Guy Hamilton, the James Bond director who did Goldfinger. You know, I mean... And one rebel pilot from Star Wars, one Imperial officer from Star Wars, and two Indiana Jones villains in this movie. One of them who played Hitler. (laughs) And one of which played Hitler. You don't get more Nazi than playing Hitler. It is a rogues gallery of rogues. Let's break them down. So, uh, Franco Nero, star of... 230-some movies, your original Django, and he just looks great, doesn't he? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He is just carved (laughs) out of a granite, that guy. And that mustache seems to be just part of his face. It doesn't even seem like a growth. It just is like, that's part of who he is. (laughs) And here's an interesting story about Robert Shaw. Here's an interesting thing I read is that, you know, this he died before this was released. Uh, He was in the middle of making Avalanche Express when he had a heart attack. Um but he was talking about, like, I don't think I have anything more to say in movies. I don't believe I'll be making them much longer. Then he died. So what did you say? <laughs> so, what did yeah. he die of? Heart attack. Like? Hard living. A life, a-, a life attack for him. <laughs> and this is an interesting uh, thing. <laughs> Richard Keel is in this. And uh, he was completely dubbed. And I still couldn't understand him. <laughs> <laughs> But you could hear the part that always was clear, and I remember this even as a kid, was when he says to uh, Carl Weathers, hey, Blackie. I know, right? You need red blood. (laughs) I don't think that line would fly anymore. No, for that and the Zulu line. Uh, um, Oh, my God, When they talk about Carl Weathers parachuting into, um, you know, Yugoslavia, they'll think there's a Zulu attack or something. I'm like, okay, so is that... Is that racist for 1943 or racist for 1978? Is it like we're going to show you what they talk, how they talk back in the World War II, or is it just 78 being 78? Well, it, it, it's it's definitely they think that's how they racist were back then, and they felt they could get away with it in 78, and indeed they could because it's in the movie. But yeah, that line would not be in a movie today. No, not not even to paint that character as a bad person, no. which I think it also is. Is like, oh, you don't say that to Carl Weathers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what you're supposed to say as an audience, but. <laughs> Even now, you wouldn't make a villain say that. <laughs> I love the line they gave uh, Carl Weathers to say to keep it from the R rate rating when he was having his uh, his big uh, hissy fit. He was like, you don't give a mother bunch about me. A mother bunch. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a mother bunch. Still, kept it on the PG side of things so I could see this movie as a kid. It's still some 78 PG, though, with the uh, naked breasts and the beheading, you know, at one point, too. Right. That's, that's still- that would, the, the beheading is really the main reason I wanted to stay and see it the second time, because I was like i know i ain't gonna see that part when they show it on edited for television i wanted to see it because how many times do you see a beheading either before or after this movie i mean that was oh that's a great shot between that and the little a little shot of uh, uh barbara box uh titties i was like yeah can we, can we sit through this one more time i want to sit through this one more time <laughs> and then as uh, adam mentioned we have wolf collar from Raiders of the Lost Ark, yelling right. in German. Uh, we shall take what we want and then decide whether to blow your ship from the water. Right? <laughs> yeah, one of the three guys whose faces gets melted by the, yes. by the Ark. Yes. And then Michael Byrne as, uh, what was his name in this? Schaefer, who plays Vogel in Last Crusade eventually. It's always a thorn in Harrison Ford's side, apparently. He's the tank commander in, in uh, Last Crusade. Yeah, they have right? a little weekend at Bernie's fun with him in this, which is cool. Oh, my God. That's the exact reference I used when we were watching. It's <laughs> yeah. a weekend at Bernie's. He's giving the Nazi salute. It's a weekend. And it's Han Solo that has to push his hand up to give the Nazi exactly. salute hiding so below him. so perfect that it was Harrison Ford who was doing that. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, you mentioned Gold Leaders in this as well, and he does what he does well. He, he yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he dies in battle. <laughs> and then Tuti Lemkow, if I'm pronouncing it, I might be pronouncing the name incorrectly, but uh, he... I, Apparently, the guy who explains the staff of Ra to Indy and Sulla is in this somewhere. I looked for him, too. I read that ahead of time. I'm going to watch for that. Nope. Didn't oh. see it. But he's in there somewhere as well. You mean the well. Indian guy? The, the guy who's come, while, come, in, uh, while the... No, one show of the top no, men. No, come, come. Show no the guy when the monkey yeah, that, is, oh, oh, the monkey is poisoning the dates. Oh. That, that sequence. Right. Yeah. And Harrison Ford, comfortably in a lead at this point. Yeah, this is the biggest role. This is the most... Screen time Harrison Ford has had on any movie so far, right? Even Star Wars, because he shows up here at like, you know, five, six minutes into the movie, whereas Star Wars is like, what, 45 minutes in? And he's a pilot, which is exciting. Yeah, first time he's <laughs> a pilot. A pilot, right? Well, second That's time he's so a pilot. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he was but specifically of airplanes. True, you know? which he does now in real life. And 
He crashed both of them in, in the movie and in real life. You know, he's got that line in, in Last Crusade where his father asks him, you know, you, you know how to fly a plane? Fly, yes. Land, no. It's like, I don't think Harrison Ford ever does land a plane in a movie. They all crash <laughs> in, in Temple of Doom, in this movie, in uh, in Last Crusade. Is there... A, is there Six days, seven nights. A, I think. Yeah, is, yeah six Air days, Force seven one nights. One it crashes. Is there is there a shot of Harrison Ford? Well, no, he does land it in Last Crusade because they they do actually land the plane. But boy, he come he comes. I mean, we've watched a bunch of Harrison Ford movies, and you count the minutes until he enters. Now we didn't have to count the minutes in Star Wars until he came in. We knew when he'd be entering in that one. But I got to say, it's an equivalent amount of time in a Getting Straight in a uh, Love. It's it's an, it's a long time before he shows up in Star Wars. This is the first movie where he just comes right in and is Harrison Ford as can be. In fact. I would say we have a new barometer for how Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford can be in a movie. I think he, I think this brings Han Solo down about 5% because he is really <laughs> Harrison Ford in this movie. Yeah, I mean, screen time would help. So he wins volume, helps him perhaps win his most Harrison Fordy performance. Well, I don't know. He's far. pretty Harrison Ford right away as Han Solo. I mean, he's already putting Luke in his place and, uh, you know, haggling for price and then shooting Greedo. I mean, I, I, you can't take it away from him for Star Wars. But he's right, yeah. He's, and, and Harrison Ford is the commander of the whole mission. Like, that's never been true before. I mean, he is the guy in charge of now. He's not the lead, Robert Shaw is, but in the, in ter- in the movie terms, he's the commander. Yeah, and you don't get many war stories anymore that are just straight adventures. You know, they always have to make a comment about war and how sad it is, and it's true, and all the things they say are right, but they just don't have fun with him anymore. Well, and I think that this probably had something to do with why this wasn't more successful, was it was coming out in the wake of all the, the Vietnam movies and in the wake of Vietnam itself. It just, it wasn't the thing anymore to make a light escapist movie about World War, you know, war, even though it was World War II. I, I was telling Adam as we watched it, if this movie had come out in 1964, it probably would have done great business. But, you know, it came out the same Christmas as Superman. You know, it came out in the wake of Star Wars. Audiences had bigger, we're already seeing things in blockbuster movie terms. I think this movie probably seemed a little too quaint to people. And to your point, the Deer Hunter won Best Picture that year. So they were up for more heavy uh, war films than this. Yeah, and Jane Fonda and John Voight both won Best Actor and Actress for Coming Home. So Yeah, but this movie just yeah. reeks of old school. It feels like they did make it in 63. You know, it feels like... It really I mean, does. It take, the story takes place, I think, two years after Guns of Navarone, and it just feels like they made it two years after, but it was, you know, like 16 years later when it finally... Uh, so it comes out in 1978, $10 million budget, which was way over what it should have been. I think they were shooting for like two uh and it makes uh 7.1 the original made 25 million on a six million dollar budget the original guns of navarone yeah you don't shoot in yugoslavia if you're if you're if you're hoping for a big budget a big budget movie shot in yugoslavia those those two things don't uh well i got the uh, i was reading that the uh, king of yugoslavia was a fan of the shoot and he he lent uniforms equipment and tanks to the production and he visited the set so yeah, that's uh, probably the ones crossing the uh, bridge at the end there. Where... This is jumping a gun a little bit on the Ford Fiesta, but it's kind of like Coppola getting help from the Philippine uh, government for the helicopter sequence in Apocalypse Now. And I think in both cases, it aided the sequence because the, the parade of stuff at the end of this is pretty impressive. You know, the, the tanks marching over. Yeah. And your tag, and it was screamed at Camp David for President Carter, then released. Yeah, was there some danger that it might not have gotten released if Carter didn't like it? <laughs> I don't know. They're like, oh, he's old school. They're like, it. Yeah, back then he was. And your tagline is, this is a great 70s tagline, too. The odds against them were 10,000 to 1, but what the hell? Well, never never tell them the odds. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. But what the hell? <laughs> that was on the poster? Or the tagline. But what the hell? That makes it sound like such a carefree movie of like, hey, we're just in this for the kicks. We're not here to strike a blow against the Nazis. Let's have some fun, gentlemen. Uh, and you mentioned Guy <laughs> Hamilton, yes, director of four James Bond movies. And, of course, as we all know, uh, Remo uh, Williams, The Adventure Begins. The Adventure That Didn't Continue. And <laughs> and ends. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he used uh, footage from the Battle of Britain, I guess a, pre- a previous oh. film of his, for the plane fight. And now oh, yeah. think about that footage. There's like footage that's completely not shot for this movie. Oh, my gosh. In that 
dogfight sequence and it's sure enough from a different film entirely such was the set such that's was low funny because wasn't that wasn't battle of britain one of the films lucas used to put together his his uh, patch uh dogfight sequence of the didn't he use that when he put the mock edit together of the the tie fighter sequence don't know oh i've never read what he used to source that oh i knew he used the dam busters and the bridges of tokyo re but i, I thought i also remembered reading that he used m- a couple of modern movies and battle of britain might have been one of them but this is you know guy hamilton is such an old school director it's like that now there would be literally no thought to like should we use some stock footage from an old movie to uh beef up this new movie we're doing like that went away in the 70s at some point. Like, that idea is so old school. Like, hey, we'll just use some footage from another movie. Harrison Ford is doing an actual World War II dogfight in, like, you know, two movies after Star Wars. George Lucas didn't get around to doing a World War II dogfight until, like, Red Tails, you know? So <laughs> Harrison Ford was living up to the influences on, on Star Wars right away. Yeah, but I, that that whole... Uh... You know, you talk about low rent, but the entire damn sequence is really fun, even though there's oh, no CGI. Man. You know, they still just do a lot with miniatures, obviously, and then on location shots, and uh, the whole end result is really fun. I thought it was cool. And and the fact that it's, it's a twofer, because you get to see the dam explode first, and that's exciting. Like, that would be exciting enough. Yes. But then, you know, all that water is going to crush the bridge. I was saying to Adam, you know, water would never be this terrifying again until Titanic. Yes, or Evan Almighty. But the thing is, we, we've seen a bridge destroyed, Bridge of the River Kwai. We've seen the you know gun embankment destroyed. Any of those things would be fine and spectacular. And But the fact that this movie goes over and above and is like, okay, th- th- they've seen bridges destroyed. How are we going to do this in a way that nobody's ever seen before? We're going to blow up a dam, then have that water released and destroy the bridge. I mean, it's just kind of brilliant, really. It's, well, it's, and it's a great sequence where they explain it, where they actually have Robert Shaw and Edward Fox and, and Harrison Ford and the Edward Fox. I love the Edward Fox character, too, the explosive expert. And it's just like, Hello, well, uh, yeah, he's so pit pit British and everything. But he's like, it's like he's the Simon <laughs> Pegg of this movie. He's like serves the same role Simon Pegg does in the Mission Impossible movies. But he's like, uh, yes, well, the army engineers uh, are experts at building things. I'm expert at blowing them up. And I can tell you. I don't know where you learned your job, but I'm talking about the best construction engineers in the business. Yes. Well, they're probably experts at building things, whereas I'm an expert at blowing them up. And then Robert Shaw comes up with the idea, but what about the dam? It's about two and a half miles up the river. But my dear chap, why didn't you say so before? Oh, I can do a tremendous job at a dam. Yes. Robert Shaw's character cares enough to put the thought into the mission that isn't, isn't even his. Are there any British soldiers who are, like, badass? I just don't think there are. <laughs> I think we're going to see Chris, Christopher Plummer in Hanover Street. Not badass, like... They don't have their, you know, Clint Eastwood or Lee Marvin or whatever. They do. They're just all polite. I mean, Robert Shaw is 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 a he's the. He's not the badass. He's uh, Harrison Ford's the badass. So is there a badass? He, he's a he's he's as badass as as the British can turn out. You know. I mean, so no. Hey. <laughs> well, hey, he's the one that decks Barbara Bach, not not Harrison Ford. You know, when, when it comes time to punch her, Robert Shaw's the one that's got the got the muscle. So, you know. Well, before we get to the Harrison Ford punch count, I do have to say, uh, goes <laughs> which up. finally yes. takes a tick up. We'll get there. We'll get there. But um, I do have to say, you know, as a kid, I, I loved this movie because it had Han Solo in it. I mean, let's let's and, and, you know, war movies fun. But watching it today, I'm like, I totally see why I love this movie. There are twists and turns. There's a cliffhanger. There's more cliffhangers in this than Star Wars. How are they going to get out of this? And then they get out of it. How are they going to get out of this? And then they get out of it. It happens over and over and over. And they're all really creative ways to get them in trouble with so much backstabbing. And then really creative ways to get them out, which bring in like new characters and new alliances. And then, you know, you know, then the Franco Nero stabs them in the back. That whole thing is just a whole like Hitchcockian suspense scene. There's a lot of great stuff in this movie. And then the whole pretending that they have penicillin is a great uh, charade that Robert Shaw's character just comes up with. And then Ford plays along. And it's sort of like, you know, as all as improv performers, it's like the rules of improv. Yes, anding and, you know, agreeing with your partner. You know, it's, they're saved by improv, you know. <laughs> you are saying you stole these drugs from the army to sell to civilians. Hmm? Uh, not just civilians, Major. We'd sell it back to the army. 
Any army? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I see. I mean, also, I got to say, okay, I mean, I just have this written down so many times in here. Like, the Harrison Ford voice, everything he says has got that thing going on. There's no bridge in the world that can't be blown. That's what Force 10 was here to prove. And so many movies we see, even Star Wars, don't really have that pure Harrison Ford kind of, look, I'm going to go up on that ridge. and you, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't have, it's he doesn't all have over the growl this yet, but he, he's definitely got the got got the low sort of, listen, Major, I, I've been planning this for months, you know. Sir, my mission is all set. It's been planned down to the last detail. The last thing we need are a couple of passengers. Just makes it such a joy. Every every moment he's in this movie makes it such a joy because it's the real Harrison Ford voice. Yeah. I think it's a good movie. But watching it from a Harrison Ford fan perspective, it's a great movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's a great movie, right? But the thing is, watching it from a Carl Weathers fan perspective, it'd be a great movie. Watching it from a Robert Shaw fan perspective. I mean, if there was such thing as an Edward Fox, if there was such thing as an Edward Fox fan, it would be great to watch from his perspective because he's great. I mean, it's when the, finally all the Force 10 people are dead and it's just Harrison Ford and uh, Robert Shaw, Edward Fox, and Carl Weathers, I turned to Adam and I said, well, the band is together finally. And a pretty bold move, <laughs> you know, 17 years after The Guns of Navarone to just bring back these characters who were uh, Gregory Peck, David Niven, and Richard Harrison, have them played by brand new people. You know, you'd think if you're waiting that long to bring a movie back, like the Rocky franchise or something, I mean, you got to bring it back with Stallone. They didn't. They brought everybody new. And in fact, here's the long and sordid story to get to this movie alistair mclean wrote the book for guns of navarone so immediately they said we knew this was a hit we want another story from these guys so uh carl foreman who produced this uh was looking for another book from mclean about these characters but instead move forward with something called after navarone like aftermatch (laughs) aftermatch of the guns of navarone movies yeah (laughs) and that never proceeded so mclean took the screenplay he was making and made it a book. Um, and then 10 years later, they made the book back into a screenplay when they decided to make this and recast it and start all over again. Because they also, by then, realized these three guys, it would not be, they're going to look like it was you know years later. So they aged themselves out of being cast in it as well. So uh, they get Robin Chapman to adapt it. And Alistair McLean's... Uh, Thoughts after all that? Yeah, it didn't look a thing like what I wrote. <laughs> oh, so the novel is significantly different than, than... In fact, and here's how it actually ends. Alistair McLean eventually took ideas they used in Force 10 from Navarone, which he claims were not even in his uh, book, and put it in a future book of his called Partisans. The final speech seems to be setting up a sequel, because now it's about how they... Because now they're stuck behind enemy lines, and I always wondered, did Alistair... McLean planned to write, but apparently what you're saying is his book didn't even end that way with, with them blowing up the bridge and caught behind enemy lines. And that was total, the screenplay invention, right? I'm not sure. He was pretty vague. He just said that the film barely resembled his, his book by the time it hit the screen. So, cause I always wanted there to be a sequel to this about how these guys get home, you know, how, how do they, but yeah, I just kind of took it as a jaws finale. You know, it's kind of like, well, here we are in the, <laughs> right. I, I, I thought yeah. that, too. I was like, it's a little Jaws finale. Like, if Steven didn't put in the last shot that they did arrive at the beach over the credits, then it is the same kind of ending as Jaws. Like, they're going to get out well, yeah, of but there's, But you, there's, know I mean? you know that that Roy Scheider is going toward the beach. I, that makes sense. But the, 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 you know, the scenario that Robert Shaw paints at the end is very harrowing. It's not automatic that they're going to get out of this. In fact, it... If it's not setting up for a sequel, it might all be suggesting that these guys gave their lives for this mission because they're going to die. Absolutely. Because they got no explosives. Yeah. They got, they're on the wrong side. No one knows they're there. It's, there was that great moment when they're about to blow the dam where uh, Harrison Ford and, and Robert Shaw realize they don't have time to get out. So they shake hands and go, well, it's been oh, a good that mission. Was such a great know? moment. See you on the other side, Dr. Bank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there actually isn't a moment like that in in either Star Wars or Indiana Jones. That sense of like, yeah, we're gonna die. By the way, Steve, uh, you, you you mentioned the cast earlier, and I do have to. I wrote down a line you said. I think to summarize <laughs> best this this cast, this is the Caddyshack of World War Two movies. <laughs> I'll just let that stand unexplained. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then you have Samuel Z. Arkoff uh, producing. So I looked at that. I said, Samuel Z. Arkoff, that doesn't sound right. Oh. What's going on with that? And sure enough, you he's involved with American International Pictures, <laughs> which, of course, was Corman's thing. So that's why this is super low budget and why it was kind of hacky compared to the big budget <laughs> Columbia Pictures presents Gregory Peck, you know, uh, monumental thing that the first movie was. And uh, the Golden Globus of its time. Well, sure enough, the director of Guns <laughs> yeah. and Everyone goes on to make all these canon movies. So Jay Lee Thompson, or uh, yeah, uh, I didn't know that he directed Guns and Everyone when he eventually went on to direct Firewalker. Oh wow! But uh, Firewalker, De- Death Wish Four. Uh, this is is that Jay Lee Thompson? Yeah, yeah. Crackdown. Uh, but I think there's a there's a grittiness about this, uh, pro- probably because of the budget that really works for it rather than against it. I mean, it, it, it you, you get it. Get a sense it's like a little scrappy movie, but when the when the explosions happen and the 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 the, the gunplay happens that needs to, to be there, it's all effective. It's the 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 dogfight sequence was a little bit dodgy, but it's that doesn't last very long either, and that's just preamble to. But you know what's not dodgy the the scene where they're trying to flag down the they're trying to get explosives oh, the airdropped airdrop. in behind enemy lines, and they form that they light all those torches to form a, a H for the landing the heli drop, and it turns out it's an enemy plane, and they shoot the hell out of all those people who just marked themselves. That scene was like had a real a lot of good budget going on. They even lit it pretty well for a night shot too. You know? Oh, I know. And then it has that it has that shot of uh, Barbara Bach getting shot in the back, running away. And I turned to Adam and I said, "You know, Harrison Ford's going to do that to a chick in a couple of movies." I mean, that was the infamous thing in Blade Runner when he shoots. Uh, you know. Yeah. Well, we're not we're not counting uh, women shot in the back. That's not in our definitive. Uh, <laughs> no, I know there's a whole bunch of things that you're not <laughs> counting, but it but they have. Uh, <laughs> They have echoes from other Harrison Ford movies. I mean, this is this is Harrison Ford's first uh, journey to World War II. It won't be his last. Uh, it was just, obviously we mentioned some of the actors that he uh, confronted that he'll confront again. Uh, a lot of firsts that that are not going to be the lasts. You mentioned the time frame thing, very similar to the Death Star at the end, that the they have to blow up the dam before the Nazis can cross the bridge. Into oh yeah. And they're even checking their watch, you know, to emphasize to the audience it's happening now. So yeah, that was very much like the, uh, trench run sequence and that there's a time factor. We can't, it's not just that we got to blow it up. We got to blow it up before the Germans come across, you know, and they pulled the Chewie and did the fake prisoner thing, which they exactly. Yeah. The <laughs> yes! fake prisoner. Steve How great out. was yes, that prison yes, break yes. sequence? That prison set was so cool. I said to Adam, I don't know if, if prisons actually look like that. I mean, there was a really big cell for three guys, but it looks so damn cool. I mean, yeah, some Yugoslavian foundry. <laughs> exactly. and the prisoners are up, they're raised up a level, you know, up on the chains. Like yeah, they're starring yeah. in a prison movie or something. Yeah, great echoes. I mean, what great kitty adventure watching this what a great like ripping yarn of a tale this whole thing is even 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 down to when when they're trying to get away and the, the german comes up and starts talking to harrison ford and he doesn't speak german and i felt like t- i turned to adam and he's like uh, yeah, yeah we're we're all doing fine how are you <laughs> everything's perfectly all right now we're fine we're all fine here now thank you how are you anyway and now, for the next uh, week, I'll have the theme from this in my head, which I did as a kid all the time, too. Ron Goodwin is your guy. And also, I'm a big fan of movies that have a sweet. Yeah, not enough movies have a sweet today, but... Uh, that, that yeah. did, you know, just opening the movie with the music and the titles, and that's it, you know, and then the we march. get on with our movie. Once yeah. we're done with the titles and our suite, then we get on with the movie. It's kind of interesting yeah, to see. Yeah, it's like a curtain, a curtain opener. Yeah. I love how much of this movie just takes place in the forest too, and it's such a it's such a prosaic location. But as a kid, it's cheap. It's cheap, but it also it, it, it fires your imagination because you're not off in some exotic place. You can imagine you could imagine having uh, recreating this movie in your backyard in a way you can't. Yeah, you could play you know, this with, with your Star friends. Wars. You know, because it's just the forest, totally. it's just trees. This is Harrison Ford's. Uh, first time a lot of time he does in a forest this is before Andor you know so this is this is the first extended action that we've seen Harrison Ford in a forest not on the definitive list but notable and also the second time on a horse not a definitive list but notable has he ever been in a desert (laughs) am I nuts 
Uh, well, in Star Tatooine, Wars, I guess huh? counts. Yeah, he's been everywhere. But he wasn't in the desert. He was in the city. Yeah, but I mean, okay. I mean, he's always on a desert planet. Okay, but I'm saying no d- desert yeah. adventure. No, he there's hasn't no done a full uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. He's been um, in. He's been in the water with K19. I mean, he's just trying to think. He's been in every. He's, has he been in the mountains? He's been in the mountains. Yeah, I don't think so. That I can think of. No. Yeah, he'll be in a couple of planes again. Obviously, Hanover Street's coming up. Uh, Air Force One, of course, much later. But uh, how many times is he is he a pilot? Apart from Han Solo, how many times is he actually a pilot? I mean, he's an actual pilot in this movie. Six days, seven nights. I think he's a pilot, right? Uh, Expendables 3. What? Really? Expendables okay. 3. Yeah, he's a, he's a pilot. In chopper pilot, I believe. Which yeah. was cool. Yeah, chopper pilot and that, but, uh, but that was cool. You're, you're bringing you're bringing back all the action stars into the Stallone thing. You bring back Harrison Ford, and you cast him as a pilot. I just think that's so cool. That is pretty cool. So then what is this movie's legacy? Here's how Harrison Ford summed it up in some quotes I found online. <laughs> it wasn't a bad film. There were honest people involved, and it was an honest effort, but it wasn't the right thing for me to do. He says they picked the part because it was a strong supporting character that was very different from Han Solo. I wanted to avoid being stereotyped as a science fiction type. Later said he took advantage of the chance to work, and it was a job I did for the money. I was lost because I didn't know what the story was about. I didn't have anything to act. There was no reason for my character being there. I had no part in the story that was important to tell. I had a hard time taking the stage with the bull that I was supposed to be doing. That might be the glory of this movie, because his fallback is what we love about Harrison Ford. When he's challenging himself, he is not as viscerally interesting as he is when he's just phoning in that pure Harrison Ford <laughs> growl, right? I mean, I'll take I'll take phoning it in Harrison Ford any day. That that's why this is an absolute that's 100 That's an interesting scale. perspective. So ambitious Harrison Ford gets you stuff like Mosquito Coast, but Harrison Ford phoning it in gets you Han Solo and and Force 10 from Navarone. Which would you rather watch? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to argue the point with you, no. <laughs> just a funny perspective on it. You know, the other quote, and I was telling Adam before, that is that I remember reading an account of him where he was having some uh, conference with the director about how to play a certain scene, and the director was just like, it doesn't matter. You're not the person I wanted for this role anyway. And I was just like, wow, what an incredibly rude thing to say. And and who else would you want at this time for that role besides right. Harrison Ford? You old fart director? That you could get. Uh, you don't want the guy from Star Wars? Yeah, okay. right? Dummy. The the line I remember about this is is in that hour. It was an hour long, I think, uh, interview. It's, it was a Charlie Rose interview. Force Ten from Navarone. Yeah. Went off to do this picture with Bob Shaw and, and uh, yeah. James Fox in Yugoslavia. It should have which and it should have stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> if not a lot of people are talking about this movie. There were some people who were for decades. In 2009, the estates of the film's three producers sued Sony Pictures for 30 years of unpaid sums over the film and won. What? So, yeah, what sums were those? I mean, who was clamoring? That's true. For that not a hit movie? But, you know, but then ancillary markets got huge. So DVD and sell it to HBO and now Tubi or whatever, you know, yeah. It's amazing. I didn't I didn't realize till Paul just read that that this movie didn't even make back its budget. I didn't realize it was that big a bomb. I thought it I did okay but underperformed it was a that was a dud then wow with harrison ford in it and robert shaw and carl weathers and and, and yet just because of smoking the bandit with uh, uh and uh you know that that a harrison ford movie with sally field released the same year as star wars made 33 million dollars on a three million dollar yeah, budget it's starting to it's look crazy. at this point like harrison ford star wars aside might not be the the person you cast in a movie to get big box office you know what i mean because because the conversation is is not a big hit uh, and Harrison Ford, you know, coming on the heels of The Godfather uh, studios, I'm sure we're expecting it. And um, American Graffiti was. But but apart from that, that and Star Wars are the only really successful movies he's been in so far. Yeah. If I were him, I would might have been worried around that time. And then like, OK, let's do Empire. And then everything took off. Yeah, I think. it. Well, I think it probably Raiders, you know, when he's when he was cast as the lead in a movie that, you know, shot through the roof. I think that's when his career was set, you know. Until then, he's kind of like between Star Wars and Raiders, he's kind of scrambling to to establish a screen identity, a, a starring screen identity. Well, I think even I mean, obviously, Star Wars is an astronomical hit, uh, bigger than everything. But still, the common knowledge was if you make a sequel to one of these movies, it's going to make 60 percent. And then the sequel after that's going to make 60 percent of the sequels amount. So it diminishing returns. There is a very, very, very good chance for Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher and, and Harrison Ford that this is it for them. 
That's the, the chances of having it hit that big are astronomical. The chances of following it up and having a career. So just go do everything you can just to make the money while you're hot. Yeah, Roy Scheider wasn't in another blockbuster. Right, you know? right. Yeah, so make the money while you can because there's a chance that that Star Wars is it for you guys, you know? <laughs> and he said as much. Yeah. That's why he did this movie. <laughs> it's but, it, but as that, it was a very good choice. I mean, it didn't turn out to be, you know, but I mean, in terms of like on paper... Yeah, there's a follow-up to Star Wars as a as a World War II actioneer, you know, where he's a commander, as a pilot. I mean, it's checking off a lot of boxes that should work if people were paying attention. I can't believe people that are Harrison Ford fans now would would not watch this movie and get some enjoyment out of it. You know what I mean? I highly suggest it. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Harrison Ford fans, if you're listening, go watch this movie. It is a ripping yarn, man. It's a Saturday afternoon thriller. And that's when it would be on HBO when I was growing exactly, up. Exactly. Right. Saturday. Every Saturday. So let's further entice you by looking at the four definitive list of essentials. Does he have righteous oh, anger? Oh, yeah. Right from the beginning. He doesn't want these Brits on his mission at all, sir. I have healthy men. These guys, you know, whatever, you know, he's, and he's pointing a lot too. I was going to say there are two good points. Uh, There's one when he's, yeah, he's telling the old men to hurry along, get through the fence. We got to go get the plane. Major move. Yeah, that's it. That's the line. Major move. Absolutely. (laughs) Major move. Uh, there was another one later. He's yelling at Carl Weathers. Well, and there's one part where he's where they're where they're still pretending that they know where the penicillin is buried, and he's using the 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 landmarks. He's like, yeah, I remember. I was it was this uh, hill cliff, oh, and it was yeah. it kind of looked like the point of like you find this hill, you find this hill, and that's where your penicillin will be. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there was a, the other point that was great. He goes, now look, you. Now look, you. What part of the movie was that? It was probably the Carl Weathers, I because I thought he'd talk to him. Oh, I love the relationship between him and Carl Weathers. He does not have a, a single polite thing to say to Carl Weathers until the very end of the movie. It's always like, what is this guy doing here? And Carl Weathers is always showing up and saving their ass. But he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> It is a random character to throw into this story. Does he happen to be in the MPs? Oh, but it's so great. It's 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 so uh, control, and then, it, yeah. it's that great way of just like getting a cool guy into the movie, you know. And he, he does. He drives them around, and then he throws a fit for like being their Mister T. And he's just like, "Look, someone explain to me what's going on in this mission. You came back to save Miller, but you didn't come back to save me, did you?" And Harrison Ford just looks at him and says, "No, we didn't. <laughs> you came back for Miller, but you didn't come back for me, did you?" No. We didn't. <laughs> and everything said as Harrison Ford is humanly possible. So good. Oh, my God. All the line deliveries are so Harrison Ford. I have written down here. This is very funny. Uh, under points. Under points. Now look, you. Harrison Ford po- points at three people and two things. <laughs> <laughs> There are five points, three at people, and two at things. Wow. <laughs> it's like Tom Cruise running. It's his, it's his jam. Sharp eye. Sharp eye. Thank you. Well, we're, we're trained at this point. We've been waiting for points. We have, this is only technically the second p- the movie he points in. And he only points in Star Wars in the special editions. We almost didn't even count that one. So this <laughs> is really the first Harrison Ford points in Harrison Ford cinema history up to this point. Up to this point. Does he make time for a smile and charm? Though? Not much. No. Oh no, no. That's not. That's not rocking in this. They leave the the charm for the Robert Shaw uh, character. He's the one who has kind of like the one liners and has sort of like his British understatement. And Harrison Ford is. It's it's a nice uh, distribution of of uh, qualities though, because Harrison Ford gets to be all business, you know, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, that is fun. He is totally all bit. That's a good way to put it. He was that way in Journey to Shiloh, too. Yeah, but I'm sure he's much more take charge in this than he was in Journey to Shiloh, right? When he was sort of the mellow brother. (laughs) And, of course, does he hit a guy? Or a girl. All right, so what'd you get for a count on that? What's the count you got? Did you make it a count? I got three punches. I got two in the gut, one in the face. And the face is Barbara Bach. He didn't. Barbara Bach. He didn't punch any men in the face? I don't think so. Did we see a punch in the face? I had, I, we saw two in the gut. I had four. It might be four. You know what? I think you're right. Yeah. When they when they have their first fight at the base when they're stealing the plane, you know, he's fighting their own men, basically, because they're fooling their own MPs that the plane is getting. So it's kind of like he doesn't want to punch these guys in the face. They're not his enemy. They're just they don't know they haven't been briefed on the mission. So it is appropriate that his character 
would punch them in the gut rather than the face. Yeah. Harrison Ford oh, only punches them in the gut and then kicks them. Uh, but good kicks and nice, solid gut punches, too. Yeah, I think it's two gut punches, two, two face punches. I think you're right. We did see another one. I just didn't write it down here. And the opening thing in that, remember, he initiates the whole fight, which is cool. I don't think he's initiated a fight in a movie in, uh, up until this point. And the first thing he does when the MPs are trying to get him, he stomps the guy and he kicks him. And then he does a gut punch and a kick. A lot of nice kicks from Harrison Ford in this movie. <laughs> Not what he's known for, but it's good. And it's real rock'em, sock'em, pugilism, you know, two-fisted adventure type fighting, too. I love that. Well, and he gets to shoot a lot of people, too. There is some shooting. You are pretty good with that thing, aren't you, is uh, what Robert Shaw says about uh, Harrison Ford and his piece. Could have been luck. Yeah, you seem pretty good with that thing, though. Could have been luck. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's, that's one of the luck. few laugh lines he gets yeah but he shoots first and second and i have that written down in one of the scenes well, here barbara bach shoots before anybody that was such a cool sequence when when they still think she's one of the bad guys and i mean it really is like a a, a, a playground level of double crossing like if you were playing with your friends the force 10 from navarro and this is you would constantly be double crossing your friend and i'm on this guy's team and it turns out i mean it was really felt like a a sandlot war fun adventure. <laughs> but it all was very well thought out. I mean, it made sense. It wasn't like it's a true. Michael Bay sort of like, and then, and, and then we're doing this, and then you're with, and then you're with, and then this guy, and this guy, and you don't know this guy. And, and then, and then, and then yeah. <laughs> and that's how Steve's always imitated Michael Bay pitching any movie. And then this guy's over here, and this guy's, and this all of a sudden, wow. Great, great, Michael. We'll green light there. Yeah, that sounds wow. good. <laughs> Planet of the cows. No, the, the the way all of this interlocks with how who thinks who's on whose side and who has this amount of information and who is lacking this amount of information. It's all really well done. It's actually a it's actually a really good script. Oh, I know. I'd it's say. like structurally three of the last four movies you've looked at for Harrison Ford. You know, this, the conversation, and Star Wars are like authentically well written scripts. You know what I mean? And he's the lead. This is the most Harrison Ford. This is the most Harrison Ford in a movie. With Harrison Ford being the most Harrison Ford. <laughs> so what do you give him percentage-wise? 100. Yes, absolutely. Can we go 110? Well, wait a minute. I, maybe okay. 95 just because he doesn't get to be that funny. That's the only oh, thing that's okay. lacking a little bit. You don't miss it because Robert Sh- other So because of the charm. Other people are funny. They, they take up the humor mantle, but he doesn't get to do much. I see. Uh so I, but I, but I, I wouldn't so take. We're missing roguish charm and, uh, and you know, being a a romantic lead boy, too, right? you know. Romantic lead. Yeah. So, but still, ninety-five. I wouldn't go any lower than ninety-five. God, he's just—he's so Harrison Ford, though. In the other parts, yeah, we're missing those parts. But uh, what do we give Han Solo? A hundred? Well, yeah, I think. I mean, I mean, honestly, I think. Honestly, to, I, think right? I mean, that's sort of the the role that set the template for who Harrison Ford is, right? Yeah. I mean, even Indiana yeah. Jones grows out of Han Solo. To me, Barnsby is is uh, the only character of Harrison Ford's that I would put. As, as as a direct cousin to Han Solo and, and Indiana Jones, I think it merits his other his characters afterward are new things, but this one I think is is their spiritual cousin, you know. Well, every Harrison Ford we've watched has been so far afield from the Harrison Ford we know in all these movies. It's refreshing to see two Harrison Fords in a row. Well, not in a row, I guess, but you know, a second Harrison Ford that is what we love about Harrison Ford, you know, it's, 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 it's so nice. It's not another crazy alt character hippie or something that we're never going to see him play again. It's like, Oh, here we go. More Harrison Ford. We're getting more. Yeah. It's almost like someone told him that thing you did in star Wars. Just do more of that here. Just do that. Yeah. Just, just, just do just that. Do that. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> now, what were we going to say, Steve, about the Barbara Bach? That scene, it's so striking, literally striking because, you yeah. know, she asks so the- to be hit. Ford punches her. Right. It's not good enough. It's like he's trying to be gallant and not like you know hurt the woman. And then the Brit, ironically, the, the polite guy is the one who decks her and puts her out. I mean, that was a big laugh line in the th- moment in the theater when I saw it. Because she, uh, it turns out, is one of the partisans. She saves their life in that scene, and she goes, uh, "You know, I've got to make. It's, we got to make it look good. Like there was a. Yeah, I'm a, not going to go know. back to camp with a pretty face." Punch right, me, so you know. somebody's got to punch me. So Harrison Ford barely punches her. <laughs> oh, all right. Sorry. 
seeing this right after having seen The Spy Who Loved Me, I mean, I was so primed to think of Barbara Bach as like cinema's greatest woman badass. And of course, that didn't end up being true. <laughs> but yeah, those are two pretty badass characters right back to back with each other. Right. Is that the same year as this? Uh, it's one year apart. It's the next year. It was, yeah, yeah, that was all... the summer of 77. This is the winter of this is Christmas 78. But she would go on to marry Ringo Starr, and then that pretty much, I think, ended her acting career. I don't know why, but... Uh... Well, Ringo stopped acting, too, so maybe they're just like, yeah, we're done with they, acting. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and the world mourned. First boobs you saw on screen? <laughs> Definitely Steve? first boobs I saw on screen, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's a big moment. On screen? I, I'm, st- I'm still waiting for the first in real life. Oh, wait a minute. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> we're recording still. Stripes, maybe? Shower sequence? Oh, I wish I was a loofah. <laughs> and that wraps Force 10 from Maverick. <laughs> Paul, you really know how to bring these things to a Wraps it in a blanket. <laughs> uh, if you have anything to say about the film, chime in at the Movie Guys everywhere on social media or, of course, uh, themovieguys.net. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be back next week uh, as we look at the next film in Harrison Ford's career. The Star Wars Holiday Special? No. Oh. Hanover Street. We'll see you then. Never heard of it. That would technically be the next thing he's in, right? Yeah, wow, what a bad Christmas that was for Harrison Ford, 78, when the Star Wars Christmas special comes out in this. There's no bridge in the world that can't be blown. That's what Force 10 was here to prove.